Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup. It's Wednesday, December 1st, 2021, and today we're going to be asking the following three questions. First up, how are U.S. consulates expanding visa services for students at this time of the year? Second, how are public universities faring this fall with international student intakes? And finally, how will Australia be changing effective December 1st or not? We'll get to these three questions and more on today's Midweek Roundup. As we do each week, we take our themes and our questions that we answer during the roundup from our newsletter that comes out earlier in the week on Mondays at 9 a.m. Eastern. It's called All the SMIE News Fit to Share. Uh, we have an archive of all those editions, past editions, on our news on our website for smieconsulting.org slash subscribe. And on that site, you can subscribe to that newsletter free of charge uh, delivered to your inbox every Monday morning. Uh, the, the news stories that we cover each week are a combination of social media and international education stories and oftentimes where they overlap. And we present three of the larger themes we see develop each week in what we cover here on Wednesdays during the midweek roundup. So as, as we do each week, I drop the link to the most recent edition of the newsletter in the comments section here on our Facebook live chat. Uh, you're welcome if you're uh, on repeat. Uh, on Facebook or on YouTube. Uh, you can get those links either from the newsletter or going to the comments section for the event uh, for this uh, live chat on Wednesdays. For those listening on the podcast, please also make sure you're subscribed to the newsletter so you can get all the details of what we're talking about each week. Uh, this week, there's going to be a lot of links I'll be sharing on the Facebook page, uh, but do please make sure you get a hold of the most recent edition for the week of November 29th, because uh, that will have the links to all the news stories that we're covering, save one right at the end about Australia. So let's get into the first question of the week. How are U.S. consulates expanding visa services at this time of year for students? And each year, typically we see this more in the summer months when we have uh, the greater majority of international students that come to the U.S. each year make their way to us uh, in the June, July, August period where uh, consulates around the world really are at peak operating capacity uh, to accommodate the, the normal flows of students that are coming. This past summer uh, in, uh, Indian, in India and in China as early as May, uh, their uh, student visa services were really ramping up to peak summer capacity early because there was a, there was a lot of pent-up demand. And that's really what uh, we've seen certainly in uh, the IEW uh, reports uh, from the last couple of weeks uh, that we were receiving from Open Doors, the fall snapshot survey, particularly the snapshot survey that encouraged, uh, took a look at what universities were reporting for this current fall term we saw that the numbers were up widely and at 70% of the U.S. colleges and universities that responded to that snapshot survey, they had reported increases in their international numbers. And that's largely due to what we had experienced over the last two years. Fall of 2020 really was a down year in all ways, shapes, and forms because, frankly, uh, embassies and consulates were really not open enough to allow students to go through the process to get to the United States. There were limited flights. We, um, though there were exemptions made available for students to come, 
the realities were many, most weren't going to be able to get through. Uh, and certainly the new student enrollment numbers from fall of 2020 were that we saw in the snapshot survey last year that turned into the reality of the open doors numbers from 2020-21 academic year showed that the, the numbers were down 43%, 46%, somewhere in that range. So we, that, what we saw in the open doors report, as we talked about last week, certainly were, were expected numbers. What we see um, coming uh, over the summer months, we saw certainly the, the visa services ramping up, not globally, because there's still some countries that embassies are operating and consulates are oper operating on an emergency appointment only basis for students. But for in some of the keyest, most key markets, um, India, China, and others, we saw, did see expansion of services. Uh, we're also seeing a bump up uh, for getting in advance of the spring term because there were large groups of students that couldn't get in in the fall uh, still because of, not, of lack of access to visa appointments that deferred until spring or started online in the fall and are planning to come physically in the spring. That group is going through that process now uh, from as early as uh, four months before they could apply for their student visa. Uh, that process now is uh, uh, we're already in that window for, for the January term. Um, in fact, the greater majority of students are going now through early January for their visa appointments. So there's an expected second wave, uh, not quite as big as the summer, but certainly a second wave in major destination markets our source countries, excuse me, that will be sending additional students in January that might they might not normally have sent in a normal winter intake or spring intake. So a couple of articles that I'll be pointing out referencing that expansion of services. We see uh, first from Nigeria, which on the African continent is the number one source of international students for, that are, are U.S. bound. Uh, we also see in uh, an article from India that uh, the U.S. Embassy is still prioritizing uh, visas for students. Uh, there was an interview uh, talking about that issue uh, in India uh, from one of the USIEF advisors uh, that talked, uh, Bhavna Jolly talked about how over the summer months how uh, inter students were prioritized in the visa process and are now uh, able to, uh, to, fit, to are really able to ramp up uh, again for this spring push. So uh, it was a record in uh, over the summer. 62,000 student visas were issued to Indians coming to the United States for uh, F1 studies. And that looks, uh, that trend has certainly been growing in India. Again, uh, India's certainly been on the rebound, certainly to the United States as other markets have become less attractive, Australia and New Zealand, uh, because of uh, the, the borders being closed, and we'll talk more, more about one of those countries at the end. But we're talking here about uh, a market now that even uh, we see from recent data from the uh, fall snapshot survey that, uh, in fact, country, U.S. institutions are prioritizing India over China at this point for uh, future student growth. So in terms of where they've been spending their time and efforts uh, during the pandemic. And whether that's uh, a ton of virtual uh, recruitment fairs or establishing in-country representation, whatever it might be, uh, you certainly see India growing in prominence. So good to see that the uh, consulates and embassies there are, um, are, are making an effort in expanding access for the spring term because there is still a wave to come. Uh, and we, we look forward to that after, um, after a, re a rebounding fall. Uh, we're expecting a, a continued rebound into, into the new year. 
So uh, one of the resources of, uh, of information for this story is really sharing um, that the Turner corner has been turned in terms of now we have a majority of uh, U.S. consulates and embassies overseas that uh, are able to uh, process uh, visas uh, in a much quicker rate than they were during the height of the pandemic. And you really see this as an issue. Uh, our colleagues over at Brighter Ed have uh, been keeping track of these on a regular basis uh, for us and uh, released last week a report that uh, for the first time over half uh, half of uh, U.S. consulates were, were possibly able to process uh, visas within a month. Uh, that there are uh, 27 embassies, U.S. embassies have considerable extensions of visa wait times. Uh, so there, uh, in terms of uh, increased uh, demand, so we're seeing a lot of uh, a lot of change recently. Uh, some of the some of the some of the cases have, have been uh, locations that have been under some uh, health uh, health restrictions because of now in Africa we're seeing the rise of Om Om Omicron and how that's uh, that's impacting visas, uh, consulates' abilities to stay open. Some of them in, in Africa have been closed now as a result. So there's a, a bit, lot of a lot of uh, uncertainty yet uh, with how uh, the pandemic is going to con the continuing evolution of the pandemic and these different variants is having on uh, is going to have on further travel. So uh, we're seeing some really good results in um, in, um, in in certain African countries uh, with with processing times within one or two days. Uh, some of the uh, and many of the Chinese uh, consulates now were within two or three days of being uh, uh, wait times to get a visa appointment. So uh, time in, in some some of these key markets now uh, we're really seeing some uh, some uh, some turners corners being turned on that front in terms of visa services. So really encouraged to see that. And we'll certainly keep our finger on the pulse of that one, uh, particularly as we get closer to uh, January starts for uh, many U.S. colleges on spring, spring terms. Now let's move on to our second question of the day. How are public universities in the United States faring this fall uh, with international student intakes? And this is a, a during typically during open open doors, a lot of institutions that particularly have uh, significant volumes of international students put out uh, press releases and news stories related to their how they're doing because uh, it all ties in. They've gotten their fall counts finalized. Uh, some published those earlier, but uh, so it's a great week to kind of springboard off the energy around international education, and uh, certainly uh, there's a lot more eyes focused on. Uh, inter the international ed world and U.S. colleges and universities during IEW than uh, most any other time during the year. So this is often time where we get a, a good sense of what's what's been going on. So um, this most recent edition of the Roundup, we had four, about five or six different large public institutions that were profiled in different news stories. I'll share a few of those with you here today. Uh, first up is Arizona State uh, is now taking on uh, the number one public university in the United States in terms of number of international students currently enrolled. So it's, uh, it's, it's certainly a feather in their cap. Uh, they've really been focusing on their international recruitment and ed international education in initiatives for a number of years. 
And uh, this, again, this is a report from the previous year of 2020-2021, not the current year. But certainly uh, a lot of the news stories we'll cover will have some reference to, uh, to current enrollments as well. But what's, in, what's encu encouraging for ASU, they've certainly been one uh, that's reflecting larger demographic trends in terms of moves to the south and the west. Uh, in term, that's, that plays out just in U.S. population terms, but it's also playing out in, uh, in other ways but beyond the, the traditional northeast corridor of, that has so many institutions. But you really see uh, the commitment of the institution to moving in this uh, really positive international education direction by now becoming uh, ahead of ahead of U University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, UC San Diego, UCLA, Purdue, among others. So they've really seen significant change um, uh, at ASU over the last few years, and the proof is in the pudding. It certainly paid off for them. Uh, really uh, excited to see that. Uh, their in-state neighbors, University of Arizona, also put out a, a story during IW shortly after uh, related to their success. Uh, what was intriguing with Arizona, uh, University of Arizona, they also set a record for their international student enrollment uh, this past year. Uh, they've been able to increase the number of enrolled international students despite the pandemic. Uh, what they've done is they've, they've invested heavily in their uh, UA Global, uh, their online pro programs. And even pre-pandemic, they were move, already moving in that direction, but certainly they've accelerated uh, growth, particularly internationally, during the last two years. Uh, they now have a total of 5,400 international students. And uh, for them, just to put it in context, uh, Arizona State has th uh, a little over 13,000 international students on their campus. So University of Arizona, small, much smaller by comparison. Uh, and in fact, the seated uh, international students on the main campus are about are 3,000, um, thir almost 3,100 of that 5,400. So the majority are still of international students are still there, but now you see over 2,000 of that 5,400 were, uh, were doing, uh, were enrolled in Arizona, University of Arizona programs outside the United States. Now they do, do this in a couple different ways. Uh, and actually, if you put the, uh, there's 100, 134 international students enrolled exclusively in Arizona, UA Air Online, uh, and that's just exclusively online programs. So it's not a huge, huge, huge part of the international population there, but it's a growing one. And there are also, um, that uh, there are still 97 international students uh, from University of Arizona that are studying from their home countries or not haven't been able to get back in yet uh, to continue. So 2,073 uh, UA international students are studying overseas uh, at, micro, at what they call micro campuses. Uh, this is interesting to, to see this in terms of uh, what, how, they're, how they're managing to do this. Uh, we see um, with the University of Arizona that uh, their numbers do include a number, uh, as I said, a uh, good percentage that are not present in the United States, but are still enrolled in programs outside the United States. Uh, and they do this through, through as I mentioned, a number of uh, partner institutions. They, they call them 13 micro campuses uh, worldwide with respected partner universities in 11 countries. Uh, that have 37, 37 different undergraduate and graduate dual degree combinations. So uh, really interesting the way the model that uh, Arizona is using to 
uh, to really expand uh, the delivery and truly in a significant way uh, when you look at transnational education uh, trends. Uh, the U.S. is certainly far behind the British and other in others in terms of having these established sites overseas to, uh, to educate larger numbers of international students. Uh, you have the branch campuses in the Gulf for some of the, uh, for um, Georgetown, for um, uh, a number of other schools, uh, Carnegie Mellon, uh, NYU in Abu Dhabi, uh, other, other U.S. colleges that have uh, Gulf locations. Uh, you see a number that have locations in China, uh, some in, have campuses in Europe, uh, in Japan. There's a, a number of these kinds of operations. Some of the Sunni schools have, uh, are heavy into Korea. Uh, Temple's been in Japan for, uh, delivering programs, uh, full programs for years. But those are, are the rarity amongst U.S. institutions. Uh, but interesting to see how Arizona breaks it out now that they're, they have such a high proportion of international students are, and their total numbers are being educated uh, overseas, receiving a full U, UA degree experience overseas. So uh, that's another example of a kind of U.S. college and how they're doing. Uh, you look at uh, UC, and not the Cal not California. We're talking about uh, University of Cincinnati here in Ohio. Uh, they also recorded a record number of new of international students arrive for the first time uh, this fall. Uh, so you really see when they had over twelve hundred uh, new internationals this past fall. Uh, very exciting time for them at UC. They've uh, been developing their network of a mix of agents and on-the-ground um, in-country representatives, particularly in India, uh, for a number of years now, and that's really beginning to pay dividends for that institution. Uh, to the point where uh, the Vice Provost for uh, International Affairs, said, uh, Raj Mehta, has said a world-class university has to be a global one. And he now says there is a fourth I implicit in UC's core values of inclusion, innovation, and impact. And he's saying that is internationalization. So it's really interesting to see uh, how different institutions are really uh, buying into international, larger public institutions, and truly uh, seeing the fruits of their labors that they've built up over the last few years. Um, another example of a, another Ohio institution, lesser known, uh, Wayne, uh, excuse me, Wright State, uh, they also had a, a large increase in their international students class this fall. Uh, after a number of significant declines. Uh, so they've really turned a corner uh, in a more uh, recent manner than perhaps some of their other state peers. But uh, certainly they have 856 total new international students uh, at their campuses uh, in Ohio. And that's the largest number of new international students in a single semester since the spring of 2018. So we're seeing some really good progress there. Uh, that um, we've seen since then uh, that one of the main factors they've seen growth this past year is they've had an, a have had recruiters in India that have helped students apply for college after the country shut down due to, due to cor cor coronavirus complications. Uh, and that has led to a 700% increase in graduate applicants from India, according to uh, one of their uh, representatives that are director of undergraduate center for international education. So really interesting to see uh, how uh, different institutions have really built up and bulked up in certain certain areas. So always going to be keeping our fingers on the pulse there. Uh, we'll start. We'll end on this topic with um, kind of the other side of the coin, 
and uh, we're looking squarely at Iowa, uh, looking at the top three uh, publics in Iowa, uh, the, major, the major three, University of Iowa, Iowa State, and the University of Northern Iowa. Uh, you see there that their, pub their publics are looking for new ways to attract international students because they have certainly um, seen some pretty rough times uh, in Iowa related to international student growth. Uh, it's been going the opposite direction for a number of years now. Uh, and you look since 2015, uh, the th Iowa's three publics have seen a drop in over half of their international students since 2015, so the last six years that have all have been a consistently downward trend, uh, driven by a 70% drop in international students enrolled from China. Um, they uh, did not, uh, had been overly reliant on China for their international student populations and really started when the bubble burst with China, uh, China Chinese undergraduates at a lot of universities starting in 2015. Uh, they have been, they haven't really buck that trend at all. It's been consistently downward since. So we're seeing a significant, not significant number percentage-wise drops, two and a half percent across the board, uh, low, so mid, lower single-digit uh, de decreases, but you're seeing uh, institutions that really have not um, done a lot uh, in the most recent years to, to halt that slide. Uh, and what they're now seeing uh, different different priorities at different campuses. You see Iowa trying to gain a bigger foothold in Africa. Iowa State's going heavy on India. Uh, and you, so you see shifts in individual institutions in terms of where they're going to spend their time because they're realizing that the Chinese market is not what it used to be and may never be what it was again. But it certainly is a, a down period for, for Iowa colleges and universities, particularly on the public side for uh, international students right now, so we'll, we'll, we'll certainly keep uh, keep keep our fingers on that on the pulse there with regard to um, what's happening in Iowa. Now we'll get to our final question of the day here, and there's been breaking news in the last 24 or 48 hours on this topic. Uh, how the question is how will Australia be changing effective today, December 1st? Uh, and the reason I, it, we, this is 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 posed the way it is is because. A couple of weeks ago, last week, we finally uh, U.S. Uh, the Australian states had done their 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 uh, their initial plans, their pilot programs to bring in international students as early as this past month, uh, and that we're really going to be going into full gear starting in December. Uh, the uh, government a couple of weeks ago uh, decided that as of December first. Uh, they were uh, going to go full steam ahead with their reopening of the borders uh, for students and skilled international students and skilled workers. Uh, they had achieved what they had set out to in terms of vaccination rates for their domestic populations and felt comfortable enough with the with the uh, requirements that all incoming um, incoming visitors uh, would have to have uh, proof of vaccination before they would be allowed in. There would be not, uh, in some some states, Australian states, there would still be quarantine, but most of the eastern states were, were allowing, or with their plans, were going to be allowing international students in. As of today, uh, to uh, with vaccinations would not have to quarantine. So really, se seemed to have, the light switch seemed to have been ready to be turned on today. And then Omicron raised its ugly head 
the latest variant on, of COVID-19 uh, with uh, cases popping up in Africa and spreading, now starting to spread to other, other parts of the world. Canada's got some cases, a uh, number of cases in Europe, in Holland and a couple others. Uh, you've seen, uh, uh, seen a very s s swift reaction uh, by uh, some Western countries uh, banning travel from uh, those, those affected areas, in, particularly in South Africa um, and Southern Africa. But you're now seeing, just uh, as with every, every other variant this, uh, this, this uh, pandemic has uh, thrown up, it's causing different reactions in different parts of the world. Uh, we already know Australia, New Zealand, China have had some of the stricter border controls for international students. They've been basically shut down for, for almost two years now. Uh, that Australia was the first of those three that were re really ready to turn on the faucet again, but Omicron came in and as of yesterday, uh, that December 1st date has been put on hold until they can better assess what's happening uh, on the ground with Omicron and what, what uh, processes can be put in place uh, or to address that issue, or they want to. Uh, there's really not a whole lot of not a, not a lot of clarity right now, and a lot of confusion, because that uh, students who had booked flights uh, aren't able to come today. Uh, students that were making plans to come are are going to be in a, a bit of a, a bind now uh, until there's more clarification. Uh, there may be quarantine put back into plans now to make sure that they they're coming in, even though they're vaccinated, they're coming in without. Uh, uh, tested upon arrival, that type of thing, and then uh, then wait to wait the 10-day quarantine period or whatever it might be before they um, before they're released into uh, the general population. Uh, kind of hat, sad to say, be saying it that way, but uh, the two articles that I'm sharing first, one is uh, a Pine News article specifically talking about uh, the December. Uh, the, the December 1st opening and agents' reaction to that, uh, that agents for, uh, for two, basically two years now have not been able to send students directly to, uh, to, uh, to Australia for higher education. That uh, it has been, was hailed as a sigh of relief last week before it was announced uh, uh, yesterday that the uh, borders will not be opening, uh, that it's the best news in the last two years, all that. And this is coming a lot from... Um, uh, from their, uh, their, one of their number one sources is, is, is India for students coming to Australia. Second, uh, first, uh, obviously, is China. Uh, it's uh, not a whole lot of reaction from China yet on this one. Uh, obviously, they're, they're probably as concerned with uh, Omicron as, uh, as the Australians or anyone else would be. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. But we're seeing now... Uh, uh, it's unfortunate timing. The, the a news, another news article from Times Now News, uh, that actually shares uh, the bad news for students planning to travel to Australia uh, because of the new variant. Uh, the government has deferred its plans to allow students, skilled workers, to re-enter from December first. Uh, that is, uh, it's going to delay it, uh, delay the reopening. Uh, the official word is by two weeks, uh, and then that there'll be it's a temporary pause. To make sure they can understand what the impact would be, so uh, we'll see what uh, what happens next on that front. But this all comes uh, after uh, the the Australian government released, uh, as of uh, November 25th or 6th, uh, sometime last week, uh, they announced a new 
Strategic International Education Plan for 2021 through 2030. So a 10-year plan basically to uh, meet Australia's skills needs, growth, and global competitiveness. And this is something that from our government, we in the U.S. are always going to be jealous of. As much as our government talks that they're getting in this game, we've seen nothing to reflect anything close to this. But Australians certainly have been doing it for a lot longer than we have as an organized national strategy. Uh, but certainly the, the reopening was going to be a big part of this initial uh, rollout of this plan. Uh, but it's certainly something that has been uh, seen as welcome, uh, to, uh, welcome by universities. Uh, it's there. It's also it's talking about a couple of different main priorities: uh, diversification of student cohorts and source countries, and additionally where uh, Australian education offerings are delivered uh, to capitalize on growing digital and offshore opportunities. Certainly, one of the lessons learned from a number of uh, number of Australian institutions during the pandemic, a lot of a lot of countries in general, was the need for overseas locations to deliver your education. The, the British transnational education model, it's, it's not just British, but it's a global thing. But British certainly have uh, done, done more in this area than others. Australia certainly recognized the need. You saw these study centers popping up in different countries that were kind of initially going to be uh, temporary fixes, uh, but are now being seen as uh, the, kind of a necessary component of a diversified strategy for enrolling international students, not only in, in, in country, but abroad. So we'll see what, where this goes with Australia. There's a lot of moving parts here, obviously, in the midst of a pandemic and coming out of a pandemic and what that might look like. But we'll certainly keep, do our best to keep you informed as to what's next in all of these uh, fun areas of, uh, of news and international education uh, policies uh, coming into uh, stark contrast. Uh, so we'll cover all of these stories and more in our next edition. On December 8th, we'll be doing a live uh, live shot from uh, the ARC conference, um, my first in-person conference since before the pandemic. So really looking forward to that. That'll be down in Miami next next Wednesday. We'll be arriving uh, at the conference site and doing a quick walk around. And so we'll, we'll have a live shot and maybe get a chance to interview a couple of folks out that are arriving for the conference and what their expectations are. So until next time, uh, we'll look forward to chatting with you again on these, these topics and more on the Midweek Roundup. Have a great day.